He has removed our sins as far from us as east is from west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear him. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. The Lord has made the heavens his throne. From there he rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out his plans, listening for each of his commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve him and do his will. Praise the Lord, everything he has created everything in all his kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Thank you for that. So we are in Psalm 103, but before we get to that, in case anybody missed it, a couple days ago was Thanksgiving. I hope nobody missed it. That'd be pretty sad. But when you think of Thanksgiving, what is it that you think about? Do you think about, well, the football? Or are you thinking about the food? Okay, let's be honest, most of us think about the food, right? Do you think about friends? Family? Well, maybe with family, there's a few feuds that are going to pop back up. Or maybe it's Friday. Black Friday is the thing that takes up your whole mind when you start thinking about Thanksgiving. Or maybe it was the simple fact that you had a few days off from school or work. That's something to be thankful for, right? But as we think about Thanksgiving, what are we really thankful for? I mean, we know that there's a lot. There's a lot that we can be thankful for. But rarely do we stop and express our gratitude the way we should. If we were all honest, we'd probably all say that none of us is as thankful as we really should be, are we? So, as before we get into Psalm 103, I want to share a couple of things just to kind of get us, kind of get us in the right mindset. So the first blank on your outline is keys to being unthankful. Don't worry, there is a point to it. Stick with me. Here's the thing, in our culture especially, we love to complain, don't we? I mean, all our attention seems to be on the negative. We are professional complainers. In fact, for anybody that's struggling, here are some keys, a few different things, practices, you could say, that I can just about guarantee to make you an excellent complainer. First thing, keep a journal. No matter how small, just keep track of all of those little things that bug you. I mean, we all have pet peeves. We all have things that drive us up the wall, right? Some of them may be more justified than others, but we all have those things that they just, ugh, they get to you, right? They get under your skin. If you have those annoyances, write them down so you can keep track of them. Take time and write down three or four things every single day that irritate you. Set aside time each day to think about these people that you have to deal with that just keep 
pushing your buttons. I mean, why? Why do they have to do it like that? Your way is just so much better. When you find yourself accidentally happy, take that journal out and go over those frustrations. I mean, if you really want to, you could even take out some note cards and write down those frustrations and put them on your mirror or on your car, somewhere where you're going to see them. That would be pretty good at keeping you unthankful, right? But let's keep going. Another thing you can do is use negative words frequently. Because the lives of grateful people, they're really not that different from yours, but they're not realists. They don't see life the way that it really is. They just need to practice reciting those frustrations more. I mean, all through Proverbs, what have we been learning? Our language matters, right? The words that you use matter. So you have to be careful about which adjectives you use. And the more strongly you label things, the better you're going to be at cultivating that specific spirit. So if we're going to be unthankful, we have to use adjectives like horrible or terrible or atrocious, frustrating, irritating. And that's going to keep you in a very negative mindset, won't it? Number three, stay distracted. Because thankful people don't tend to dwell on the bad stuff that's happened in the past. And even worse, they don't worry enough about the awful things that might happen in the future. Now, if you are going to be a professional complainer, you've got to do both of those things, right? You've got to stay distracted. Always, always, always multitask. Don't waste your time just sitting there enjoying a meal. Entertain yourself by scrolling through your phone, have the TV and maybe even the radio playing in the background. You know, keep yourself distracted or you're going to miss all the bad stuff going on because you're so focused on the good things. You'll miss out on potential threats on the horizon or you'll forget about those bad things you've experienced. Number four, make sure to pray selfishly. I mean, use your prayer time to get what you want. I mean, God already knows how great he is. He doesn't need us repeating it, right? I mean, he knows. You've got to remind him of all the things that everybody else has that you don't. How else are you supposed to get it, right? Let your health deteriorate. Because a thankful attitude and physical health, they seem to go really well together. Healthy people usually tend to be more grateful and more positive. And then that positivity, man, it leads to more healthy decisions. It's a vicious time-wasting cycle. Make sure that you don't get enough sleep, because when you're tired, you get anxious. And anxiety is like steroids for complainers. Exercise, oh, that's poison. You get endorphins when you exercise. And those positive Positive chemicals in your body prevent you from recognizing the awful realities of this world. You can't have that happening. Now, we can all chuckle at that list a little bit, right? It's a little excessive. But there's at least one or two of those that hate each of us, don't they? A couple of those that, without even trying to, we've become experts at. See, the fact is, we really don't need help to be unthankful. It's something that comes naturally to us. The good thing is that we don't have to stay there. There's a way for us to reverse these points and become truly grateful. But before we get to that list, let's look at how David expresses his thanksgiving and learn how we can express our thanksgiving in Psalm 103. 
Now, this psalm was written by David, most likely later in his life, and in it he praises God. He thanks God for who God is and what he does. And throughout this psalm, there's no request. He's not crying out saying, God, this is what I need right now. He just wants to express his thanksgiving. It's worship and thanks to God. In verses 1 and 2, we see that David thanks God for his character. He says, bless the Lord. And when he says bless, he means it in the sense that it blesses, it honors God when his creatures praise him and thank him appropriately. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's looking inward. This is intentional instruction of himself because he knows that just like exercise, it has to be a choice to do something positive. And the only way that we're going to praise God enough is if we make an intentional choice to praise him. True worship isn't just about the outward expression. It's something deeply internal. It's from our very soul. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. That's worship. It's thanksgiving, and it's something that goes so much deeper. It can't be superficial. Everything about us should be used to praise God, and we need to be intentional about it. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. David goes back and he repeats it. This is a pattern that you see throughout Hebrew poetry to use for emphasis, but he adds an important thought in verse 2. He says, forget not all his benefits. We praise God for rational reasons. There are good reasons for us to praise and thank God. Why? God is good. God is always good. And he deserves our praise. Picking up in verse 3, we, we have more to be thankful for. We're going to start listing some of these things. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. We can thank God for his pardon. One of those great benefits that we've been given is the forgiveness from all our sins. I mean, we could stop there and call it quits, right? That's enough that we could thank God from now until eternity. Because if we truly understand the magnitude of our sin compared to the righteousness of God, his forgiveness is a staggering reason for us to praise him and thank him. But then he also heals us, whether through natural or miraculous means, and he gives us the promise of ultimate healing in heaven. He's called the great physician for a reason, am I in? Verse 4, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. See, God redeems us. He brings us out of our slavery to sin. That was leading to our ultimate destruction. But not only did he bring us out of misery, we are brought into something greater. It says that he crowns us with his love and his mercy. Verse 5, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God satisfies us. In God, I have everything that I need, no matter how much or how little that is. And the result of this pardon 
in both what we're saved from and saved to, you know what that pardon gives us? It gives us freedom to enjoy this life and all the good things that God has blessed us with. But let's not stop there. We're going to pick up in verse 6 and we can thank God for his fairness. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Righteousness and justice. Now, up to this point, David's been describing God's greatness in how he works in the life of an individual. But God also shows his greatness in bringing righteousness and justice throughout societies. Even through people who don't honor him, he can still bring righteousness and justice. Amen? Verse 7, he said, he made, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. He revealed himself. God wasn't content to sit up in heaven and hide and say, well, they messed up, they're on their own. He said, no, I want them to know me. He wants us to know who he is and what he does. He wants his creation to truly understand who he is. As we get into verse 8, this is really where it starts hitting home. This is where we thank God for his mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Yes, God is righteous and just, but he is also merciful and gracious. And we get to see that mercy every single day. Yes, God's perfect anger does eventually come, but it comes slowly. It comes after so much mercy has been shown to us. He is abounding in mercy, overflowing in mercy. Instead of judging us immediately like we deserve, he shows us this mercy. I mean, honestly, we should spend a ton of time praising God for what he hasn't done to us that we fully deserve. He should punish us for our sins, and yet he doesn't. Instead, Christ came and died in our place. Verse 11 continues the idea, this idea of mercy and talks about God's forgiveness, where we can thank God for his forgiveness. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. It's that abounding mercy of verse 8. I mean, take out your tape measure and try and measure from here to heaven. And that's how great God's mercy for you is. Can you even begin to, to comprehend just how great that is? To those who fear or worship, reverence, honor God. We often think of God's mercy as a lot less than what it really is. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. That's a lot more east to west than it is north to south. You could travel far enough north that you say, okay, this is north. Everything else is south. You could go far enough south and say, okay, this is south. Everything else is north. But choose, west or east, I don't care which one. Go. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Can you ever reach a point where you say, okay, this is it. After this, it's no longer that direction. East and west never meet and God says, that's how far I've removed you from your sin. You and your sin, they never meet again. They are gone. Isn't that amazing? 
How good is our God that he forgives us like that? How worthy of our thanksgiving, of our worship, and our praise. We also get to thank God for his pity. Verse 13, as a father, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities them that fear him. He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field. He lives and he dies, right? The wind passes over, it's gone. The place thereof remembers it no more. David's continuing to describe the abounding mercy and goodness of God in comparison to how short our life is. He says that God cares for us the same way that a good father cares for his children. Think about this. A loving father dealing with kids, and it's the end of the day. It's been a long day. It's been a busy day. It's been a stressful day. Are those kids on their best behavior at this point? Absolutely not. And what does the loving father do? He says, I get it. I understand. I'm not going to tell you that it's okay to sit here and throw yourself on the ground and throw a pity party. But I understand that it's been a long day. He doesn't demand more of his children than they can do. He accounts for those weaknesses. He comforts them, and he measures his expectations according to his wisdom and his compassion. And that's what the failure of a human father does. How much greater is God? He knows our struggles. He cares for us in our ignorance, in our weakness, in our foolishness, when we stumble and fall, when we're in pain, when we're wronged, when we're afraid. He knows what we're going through, and we can trust that he is working it out for your good and for his glory. He knows our frame. The care and compassion that God has toward us is rooted in that knowledge and understanding that we are weak. But the great thing is that it didn't even stop there. God didn't stop at saying, I know that you're weak. Jesus Christ said, I will set aside who I am and the glory that I deserve, and I will step down and I will experience it firsthand, what it means to be weak. so that he could sympathize with us. That's why Hebrews 4.15 says, we do not have a high priest who can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. It says Jesus went through it so that he understood what it was like to struggle through this life because he loves us that much. We can thank God for his covenant faithfulness. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting, verse 17 says, upon them that fear him. His righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, to those that remember his commandments to do them. The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. God is faithful. God always keeps his promises. There is not one promise that God has ever failed to keep. Promises such as, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will come again and receive you to myself. And so many other promises. And we know that God always keeps those. 
as we finish out the last couple of verses. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening to the voice of the word, his word. Bless the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasures. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. David says, okay, I've given a list here of all the reasons to praise God. I want to invite you to join me. We get to join in worshiping this amazing, loving God. Isn't that awesome? So, we started off with some keys to being unthankful. Let's see if we can turn that list around and look at some keys to what it looks like to be truly thankful. Because we should set aside time each day to thank God, to praise Him for the blessings that He gives us. So here's our new list. First of all, keep a journal. Yes, that is the same thing that we started off the last list with, but what are you journaling? Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Take the time and think about God's goodness. Write down the answer to prayer requests. Count your blessings. When you list them out, when you name them one by one, when you count your blessings and see what God has done, it leaves you truly thankful, doesn't it? Use positive words frequently. Again, words have power. Philippians 2.14 gives us the negative. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, so don't use the negative words. Colossians 3.16 and 17 tells us to speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Just like Proverbs was talking about last week, you've got to watch your mouth. Be intentional about the words that you use because it affects how you think, what you think about, your overall attitude. Number three, stay focused. In Luke 9, 62, Jesus said, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Don't get distracted by stuff that's going on in other people's lives. God has given you so many blessings. He's also given you responsibilities. Stay in your lane. You can't drive for all the other drivers on the road as much as you may like to. It'd be a lot safer if you could drive for them sometimes. But you can only control what you can control. Jesus told Peter, hey, don't worry about what I end up doing with other people. You do what I've set before you. Stay focused. And when you are faithful to do what God has put before you and count those blessings, you'll have a thankful life. Pray compassionately. Almost every single one of Paul's letters, one of the first things that he will say is, I thank my God. And he says, I'm praying for you continually, all the time. Every time I think of you, I'm praying for you. Pray for one another. Pray for the hard times that your friend or family is going through. Pray and thank God for the blessings to answered prayers. But pray for others. Pray compassionately. That's the model that Paul sets. And it's not until you get to almost the very end of each of his letters, he says, oh yeah, by the way, would you also pray for me? He doesn't follow it right up. He doesn't say, okay, I'm praying for you, so go ahead and pray for me too while you're at it. He says, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying for you. 
And at the very end, almost as an afterthought, he says, oh yeah, just remember I need prayer too. Would you please pray for me? Last note on there for you, take care of your body. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us our body is a temple. It belongs to God. Our, our body is to be used to glorify God, to worship Him. So you've got to take care of it. You have to treat it well so that you are available to do whatever it is God's called you to. See, just as much as we don't need any help to be unthankful, the only way for us to keep this list is with God's help. Right? We have to have God's help to be thankful. Because it's a simple fact, without him, we are nothing. But with him, there are no limits to what God can do. And that's the reason that we can truly be thankful this week, this month, the rest of this year, and into the new year. Would you stand and join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much for the encouragement that your word brings. Thank you for the reminder of who you are and what you do. God, thank you that a thankful life is possible and that that thankful life is a full life, no matter how long or short that life may be. God, I pray that we would be intentional to be thankful this year and into the new year. I pray that we would take the time to praise you for who you are. I pray that we would be aware that we wouldn't forget the many blessings that you give us. I pray that we wouldn't keep it to ourselves, but that we would be vocal, that we would tell someone, that we would sing your praises, that we would share what you are doing in our lives. Not to say, look at how great we are, but to say, look at how great my God is. God, you make each of us different. Help us to find the way that you designed us to connect with you, to praise you, and to be near you. And God, I pray that this wouldn't be a one-time thing or an every-once-in-a-while thing, but that we would make it a consistent part of our lifestyle to spend time thanking you for who you are. Lord, thank you for the joy that you give us. Help it to permeate our lives throughout this holiday season and through the new year. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for the word, Marty. Psalm 103 uh, has come up a few times this last month in my life, and it is um, quickly rising to the top. Uh, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 103. What, what an amazing passage. Uh, so thanks for bringing our attention to that today. <clears throat> for those who are watching online or watching this later, we're going to end the service uh, for you now because we're going to take communion as a church body as part of the holiday tradition, but we're going to do that offline. Uh, so thank you for joining us. God bless you. Give me a